Welcome to the first Run the Whites podcast. Long time coming. Been postponing this since, I guess, March or April, waiting for the right time. And I couldn't think of a better opportunity to get this going than um, our first guest is Ben Thompson, who just set the PEMI FKT on Sunday, did this interview last night. Today's Tuesday. Really important to get his race report while it's still fresh and I think many of us just love to hear what's, um, you know, what really happened other than, you know, you can look at the Strava, Strava data and that only gets you so much of the story. So it was really fun to chat with Ben. I haven't, haven't had a chance to catch up with him for a little while now and hear about his previous FKTs, this Pemi loop in particular, which I didn't see coming. So it was really fun to watch that happen and sort of recalibrate some of those times and expectations for not only the PEMI, but also all the other fun routes out there in the White Mountains. And yeah, we'll do more of these in the future. Enjoy this one. We ramble on quite a bit, um, but a lot, very insightful. And thanks to Ben for taking the time to do this. I've got some links for Ben. If you want to follow his dog on Instagram, follow Ben on Strava and learn a little bit more about his research and his profession I got his website linked below. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. And uh, talk to you on the next one. All right. Thanks, Ben. We got Ben Thompson here joining us a couple days after his, um, a day after his PEMI FKT. I thought you were going to go for this on a Saturday, but it turns out you did it, did it yesterday. Today's Monday. For those who don't know Ben, um, I think he really cemented himself as a elite mountain runner when he took down the presidential FKT in 2017. That was probably the first time I'd heard of you and did a quick deep dive. Um, he wrote a really thoughtful piece. I remember this distinctly about your experience on the presidential traverse and how you'd want to do it right. And that was over, over at the Daniel Webster trail. I know it was closed or something, but you backtracked it to make sure you started at the right point. And um, I'll get into that part later because I, I want to talk about that route um, specifically and the, the standard routes and the, the current route that has the FKT now, but that you're also, I mean, you are a real intellectual in the sense that you have an MIT undergrad, I think in math or something, right? Yeah. So I did a bunch of earthquake science stuff, simulating earthquakes for my PhD uh, after that. And you're doing that at Harvard or you did that at Harvard? I finished that up uh, last last spring, spring 2019. So now I'm sort of a, a data scientist, software developer sort of person at this company in downtown Boston. So right now working from home. So, and then to, to just wrap off your, your uh, quickly just touch on some of your other accomplishments. So you got the presidential, FK, the presidential Traverse FKT and then later that summer, you got the PEMI loop and you were holding both at the same time, which is probably like one of, that's like the, you know, short of having the hut traverse as well. Like those are like the three big things in the White Mountains for as far as FKT goes that I'm, that I'm concerned with. And then, um, you know, watching other people overtake them and, and wasn't sure what, what your plan of attack was, but I got a chance to meet you following winter up at Friday Night Lights and... Um, you came to Friday night 
Vertical, our summer series, and that's where I met your dog, Wish, another key player in all of this. Um, so anyways, I want to say thanks for taking the time to, to chat. I think we're going to cover a lot of stuff here. I know we can go on forever, but I want to keep this relatively concise. So um, any other stuff you want to introduce yourself with? I mean, I know your your earthquake background, um, your science stuff. I want to just give me the um, a quick summary of that work you're doing. Well, I, first, though, just thanks so much for having me on. This is fun. Um, it's great to chat with you, Andrew. Uh, yeah, so that's that's something I I'm actually still involved a little bit with that earthquake stuff, but it's it's mostly sort of trying to understand how these things work at like a basic physical level. We focused a little bit on like the Pacific Northwest, so you know if any of you listening live in Seattle or Portland or vicinity, yeah, you have earthquake problems there. <laughs> um, but maybe we should dive into running stuff because that's why we're here. Yeah, I just want to let people know that you, you know, you're not out there running all day every day. You've got a real, real job, or you're you're doing research, and and um, that's an important thing to balance. But um, yeah, let's go back. Let's go back to like, yeah, give us give us your running background. Yeah, well, I I really got started in this. Maybe I'll back up a little further. Uh, all through like elementary school, middle school, high school, I played soccer pretty competitively. Um, I sort of bailed when I got to the varsity level in high school because it was just too intense. There were all these kids that were in there, you know, they were looking to get, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of scholarship money from their playing soccer. And I was just not going to like go up for a header and bang my skull against theirs when like I had nothing on the line except like kind of camaraderie and fun which is like a big thing but at the same time just there there's a level of intensity I couldn't summon (laughs) and so I sort of had this gap in sports for a while there at like the end of high school and beginning of college where I tried out long distance biking for a little while uh yeah, biking like 215 miles in a day really hurts, and I'm not going to ever do that again. Somehow running for the same amount of time is much more enjoyable to me. Uh, so yeah, I sort of got into running from a sideways direction through like backpacking and hiking in the whites. I started going for these longer days, you know, 20, 25 miles walking. And you just sort of, oh, well, this is like a gentle downhill. Maybe I'll jog a little bit. And, oh, this flat seems pretty easy. Maybe I'll jog a little bit. And then when you're not in the mountains, they're not out in the woods, like, oh, I don't have anything to do today. I'll go jog a little bit. And sort of slowly, insidiously become a runner. So it sounds sounds like you had the engine from from soccer and cycling and applied it, you know, and you get the leg strength from the hiking and just the comfort on the, on the trail. Yeah. And so I like leading up to 2000, the summer of 2017, what had you done before that? Cause you didn't just all of a sudden go get the FKT. Not at all. So I really started running. Like I think where I, left off there i think i really started running like 2010 2011 
And I was just constantly injured. I think what you were saying about having like the, the engine from soccer and cycling, I had the engine, but not the tendon strength, not the like, not the joint strength. And so my engine could just overwhelm my legs. And so it sort of took two or three years there, maybe until 2013 or 2014, before I sort of got everything figured out where I could run consistently without being a complete physical wreck. And how old are you? Uh, I'm now 29. Okay. So that would put me at, you know, 2013, like when I really started being able to run as much as my engine, you know, like you're saying, wanted me to. Uh, I was 22, 23. That makes sense. I think for a couple years there, like 2013 through 2015 or so, I was pretty focused on work stuff. And so I kept running, but didn't really put a lot of thought into it. It was kind of 30 to 40 miles a week, just hanging out with friends, having fun. And then somewhere in 2016, I just realized like, wow, I built this pretty strong base and I started uh, doing a bit more mileage of some harder runs and realizing like, ah, uh, this is fun. I could do some real training and get fast for things and it might actually work and be awesome. Um, so I think that leads into what you were saying. Like I did a bunch of races 2016, it was going super well. And then I just totally destroyed my ankle that summer. So I wasn't able to do some of these things that I wanted to do. I actually wanted to go give, you know, the Prezi a really hard shot summer 2016. And I just couldn't run for two months because I completely wrecked my ankle. And 2017, it sort of all came together and finally worked out for doing some of these long, fast mountain runs. And so what races were you doing? With a bunch of like the Tark races? Yeah, exactly. So I did a bunch of Tark races. Um, I had a three-month internship where I was working in Oak Ridge in eastern Tennessee, and I knew no one there. So the like percentage of my life that running was increased dramatically. So I did a bunch of races while I was there. Um, some of them kind of informal under the radar, so you won't find them on any race website like Ultra Sign Up or something. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've been doing this this uh, MMD race for since I think 2011, well, most years. That's a really fun one. It's this 50k that happens in August up in the Whites, um, sort of under the radar. It's kept to like 25 people or so. Um, yeah. Wapak Wapak and back is uh, one of my favorites. I I've. Would have loved to do that this year. I was signed up, but of course that was not not in the cards. And that's usually what in May. Yeah, so that's early May. It's in the Wapak Range on the New Hampshire Mass border. Uh, it's super nice. Like a lot of this sort of low two thousand to twenty five hundred foot ridge running. Uh, beautiful views all along it. There's lots of tough rocky descents some sections that are more sort of almost swampy running. Um, it's a mix of all sorts of stuff that you just get all, get all over the place in these sort of lower mountains of New England. That's a classic. There's all the dis the distances confuse me about that. Like if I did that, which distance is it? If you do go straight, it's 21. 
and change and if you do out and back like can you do it just out how does that work yeah so you can sign up for either the one way which is 21 and a half or you can sign up for the 50 and the 50 is sort of sadistic because it's 21 and a half one way then you come back and you're at 43 and you're actually at the finish line but you have to go out and back for another seven to finish the race and that seven that like that final seven is over the top of Mount Wetatic, which is not a giant, but not a small climb. Not after 43 miles. Exactly. So yeah, I've done the 21 a whole bunch of times, probably four or five. And I did the 50 twice. Um, one of those times I bailed to the 43 distance. So that's always a, an option that is very uh, pleasantly <laughs> laid out on a platter in front of you when you get to the finish line. Oh, you know, you could stop here and just run 43. It's not a DNF. They'll give you the 43. That's, that's too nice of them. It seems, it seems too nice. I kind of feel like I DNF that day. I think I, I, I'm disappointed that I didn't finish it. <laughs> well, good. That's a pretty good, I forgot about those races, but that's a pretty good lead in to these FKT attempts and, um, I want to go that to that go into the presidential one first because I think that was again where you really made your mark when you took down Ben Nephew's long standing. I mean, I don't know, I've been up for four years, and also, um, yeah, you start to break these little time barriers, dipping below. You know, this one you dip below four thirty, and and talk about just talk about that run um, that day and how you remember it and what that meant to you. Yeah, that run was fantastic. I mean, it's funny. So I was, uh, Brandon Newbold was actually planning to go give the FKT a shot. And I was going to run the first half with him. I was going to run like up to Mount Washington and then just let him go because I can't keep up with that guy. Um, apparently on mountain terrain, I can because when he like, I think he hurt his ankle or something. Uh, I don't remember exactly what happened, but he was out. I still wanted to go, so I decided to just drive up and, you know, see what the weather was like and just go for it. And so this was totally unplanned, like, not not intending to set the FKT, but doing the, the same route that Ben had done, Ben Nephew. Um, and I got to the top of Madison, and I was only, like, a minute behind his pace. And so I thought, oh, well, you know, really got to gun it now, because... I'm this close at this point, like I can't, I can't abandon ship and just, uh, and so, yeah, I just, I kept pushing and it was, it was hard, very hard. And I mean, I don't, I don't remember. It's not fresh in my mind anymore, but one of the things that sticks out is I got to the top of Washington. I think I was like seven or eight minutes ahead of, uh, ahead of the FKT pace. And I was just a wreck. I was dizzy. I think I was super dehydrated. And I actually lay down on the floor of the visitor center, like the building up there, uh, the observatory, and just closed my eyes for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> That's not fast. And then, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then stood back up, filled up my water, and kept running. And by the time I hit lakes, it was sort of, I'd come out of that pit and I was feeling okay again. 
I was still having, I was starting to get some calf cramps and stuff. So there were other issues, but the, the dizziness and dehydration were done. So in the span, in the span of one mile or whatever, you know, a thousand vertical feet, you just uh, got better. But I think some of it is, you know, Mount Washington is not that high, but still 6,200 feet of elevation is not zero. And I think it, it has a little bit of a, an effect on you when you're, you know, just revving the revving the engine so hard that you're kind of you're redlining and that little bit of elevation can kind of push you over the edge sometimes. Um, I mean, I've had that same reaction at like 13,000 feet in the Rockies. And so it's sort of it feels a little familiar and I'm not sure that it isn't just uh, that kind of elevation reaction. Uh, well, I, th- I think it's real. I think 6,000 feet is definitely, uh, that's pretty much where most people will say they start noticing the effects of altitude. I'm on board with that theory. So, anyway, so I think it may just be that I came down 1,000 feet and like I felt a lot better because I was at 5,200 instead of 6,200. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, then, and the and descent then, is less aerobically intense. And you think that last stretch, you know, everyone thinks that the Southern presidentials are like, you know, cruiser. But at that point on, if you've thrashed yourself getting to Mount Washington, that back end is no, is no easy stretch by any means. And it's, it's long, it's still long. I mean, if you get to the top of Washington and at your pace, you guys are probably getting there in like three hours or a little over that. What was your, I don't know the splits, but I don't remember it exactly. I think I was like 250 to Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, I think so. the you know the guy who ran it in like 342 recently. I think he was like 2 230 or 220 or something to Washington. It's just blazing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that too. But and so you ran you ran that out. Tell me about running down Crawford Path because that's the like never ending trail. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just holding on, hoping I didn't trip. I like kind of chanting to myself in my head, like, perfect steps, perfect steps, perfect steps, don't trip. Like, I knew at that point I had the FKT as long as I didn't smash my face on a tree or a rock. Um, But I also didn't want to slow down, really, because what's the fun in that? Right. I don't know. I think if you get in a rhythm and you got to run at what's comfortable for you at that point, and sometimes that's just letting it go. And that's that's something else about you is that you are uh, looking at those splits. I remember that. I remember sort of just digging into your Strava and seeing how fast, when you said you're a minute behind Ben Nephew's time on the top of Madison, how much time you made up on him on the descent. Like you made up an absurd amount of time getting down to Madison hut. I think I've just, uh, I don't know where, how it happened, but I got pretty good at some of these technical descents. Some of it is like very intentional practice. Um, there are certain drills that, you know, like downhill strides, a lot of people do uphill strides, downhill strides work really well too. Uh, Mm -hmm. 20 seconds, just, 20 seconds, 10% faster than you're comfortable with is a really great sort of technical trail running drill. Um, But yeah, I think there's, 
you know, going faster on the descents, there's a risk to it, but there's also, you know, if you can get the, the, like the brain and muscles interacting in a way that's, that's right, then you're also just much, you're, if you get, if you get it all working, you're not likely to make a mistake. And so the small increase in pace isn't a huge increase in risk. Yeah. And it, it, it does, it does, but it's, that's where you're, that's where everyone's going to be squeezing out a lot of time from these FKTs that are on the descents too, because I think a lot of people have the engine to run fast up, but to keep the, keep the pressure on the way down is really equally as important. I mean, I think what we've seen over the last four or five years is that the, there's the biggest room to go faster on a lot of these mountain FKTs is actually the, uh, the ascents, the uphills. I mean, the like Ben Nephew's Madison split was 69. I think the current FKT Madison split is 58. Um, if you look at the descending splits, they're much closer than that. Hmm. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what you think um, about someone taking the FKT on a slightly different route than what you had. And like, just, I always thought that the, the presidential traverse was a traverse, not a out and back. And when, you know, Ryan Atkins and those other guys come in and they go, they, you know, they start from the Appalachia trailhead where they have to do an out and back on Madison. I was like, part of me was like, wait a minute, that's fast, but it's a different trail. Like, what do you think about that? The classic, you know, and I guess it's all depends on, it depends on a lot of things about your perspective, but um, from someone that's held it, what did you think? Did you, what was your initial reaction to that? I think there should be two FKTs. One mm -hmm. for the like, one for the aesthetic Prezi Traverse and one for the standard Prezi Traverse. Because, I mean, when somebody said, like, if you talk to somebody and they say they did a Prezi Traverse, 80, 90% of the time they went up Valleyway and did an out and back to Madison. So in some sense, like, the, the standard Prezi Traverse route that everybody talks about is exactly what, everybody, what the more recent FKTs are. And so this, this Daniel Webster Scout thing is, I think it's, it's definitely a more aesthetic route in a lot of ways. You could make an argument for Hawker Ridge too. Um, that's or a ridge up. line the whole, the whole, the whole way up, which yeah. is sort of even more of a traverse. I think for, for some of the more popular FKTs, I think it makes a lot of sense to have the match up with sort of the standard perception of the route. So switching the valley way like this, I kind of think it's, it's good for the, I don't know if it's like, if it's fair, I don't really care because my times were beaten by so much that it doesn't matter. Um, they would have destroyed my time on going up Daniel Webster Scout too. Uh, but in, in some way, I like that the, the standard route lines up with the FKT route now. Gotcha. Even if it's less, less of a beautiful route in some ways. I know. I just think if you can traverse it, why not traverse it? But these guys are driving up from New York. Like if they're driving up from New York and you're adding on this extra 
car spot, the distance to get from the Appalachia Trailhead over to Dolly Cop. It's a, I don't know. I, I understand that too, of not wanting, wanting something that's going to be easier in the long run for more people, more accessible, not have to spot a car over, all the way over on the Pinkham Notch side. So that is, it is what it is. Um, I have to say, I'd love to give, I'd love to give the, uh, uh, what I've been calling the standard Prezi Traverse a hard shot at some point. That would be fun. I'm not, I don't think I'm going to come anywhere close to Jordan Fields time, but it'd be fun to try for like sub four or something. Well, and you want to compare to your old time too. And that, that's a great lead into the Prezi Traverse to see, cause you absolutely smashed, you know, your old time there. And I, when you, when you ran a 606, I mean, sorry, your Pemi loop. Yeah. Yep. There you go. When you went in your Pemi loop in that September um, and ran it in six, you know, 606. Yeah. Tell let's, let's go into that one a little bit. Cause you obviously had, you, you knew you were capable of running, you know, the Prezi Traverse incredibly fast and going into the Pemi loop. Talk about what you put into that, the training and expectations. Yeah. So, I mean, like I was saying with the Prezi Traverse, it was sort of a, off the cuff like oh i'll just go run this thing the pemi loop was a lot more planned um i trained pretty hard for the rest of the summer for that did a lot of longer runs was some you know uphill tempo kind of stuff uh i came into that ready to push it and i did push it at the beginning and i pushed it way too hard i like i got up to the top of bond i think in an hour 42 or something and i that was way too fast at that point as, as a runner. And I think like a mile and a half later on Gio, you know, uh, barely over a third of the way, the way through the run, I started getting calf cramps. So <laughs> at that point I was like, oh crap, I really screwed that up. So I kind of had to dial it down a bit. Like I, for me, at least the, the calf cramps, are a thing that where if I drop the pace by 5% or so, they just go away normally and, you know, drop the pace by 5%, smash down some food, drink some water, and hopefully they don't pop up for a while again. And so sort of mistake number one, there, going out too hard. Okay. Recovered from that did pretty well across Garfield Ridge, which is really the crux of the whole route. Like it's, I, if people listening aren't familiar with this route, it's like Garfield Ridge is just super rocky, rooty, wet. It's never dry. I mean, some routes you can plan to run on a day that's dry. Garfield Ridge is never dry. Um, there's a water waterfall literally going down the trail in one section. Luckily, both the times I've raced this have been counterclockwise, so I go up the waterfall rather than down. I don't know what is with the people that race clockwise. I think they're... They don't understand that there's a there's an option to go up the waterfall instead of down. <laughs> the waterfall section's relatively short, though. I know, I know. I'm just I'm. I like I I, I like, mostly go counterclockwise because I love the Osseo run out this at the end, just the smooth, fast. I I couldn't agree more with you that the the counterclockwise route allows you to knock out Lincoln Woods early, which if you do it the other way, feels like an endless, just endless green tunnel. Um, 
and it's really runnable up Bong Cliff. Like I think that that side hill and that grade is ex- is an excellent warm up for the day, and and then the Osio, on the other hand, is very runnable too. But um, you like get right into it much sooner from Lincoln Woods, and I, I think that the like the way you did it with the warm up and every like having a warm up, although you were running six forty minute pace, that's not exactly the warm up for most people, but um, it allows you to really hit your rhythm. And um, I like the idea of being able to fill up, not really fill up your water until you get to 10 K in and not be carrying extra weight if you don't need it. That's what I did both times. Just started with no water and filled up on the way up on cliff. Yeah. There's a lot of strategy like that. And then with the huts being closed, like now you're reliant, right? You're probably relying on Garfield spring. Yep. Or Garfield in in general. <laughs> Hillary's um she just handed me a note to uh wondering if I was interviewing Wish as well. Oh yeah, she's right here. Hey Wish, come here. <laughs> still still has plenty of energy. I know. It's bad podcast, but maybe uh, maybe I'll make Wish the thumbnail and so everyone will be like, okay. That's the dog. I, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll get to the dog part, but uh, it's hard not to jump ahead because right now people want to, wanting to do the, the Pemi loop. It's like, yep. Uh, so up on cliff and then I filled up again at Garfield Springs. Um, and how, both tell times. Me what, Actually the, the first time I also filled up at Galehead. And tell me what you're bringing with you. Yeah. So Oof, I don't remember exactly what I did in 2017, but this time I started no water, filled up on a bond cliff. I had, I think, four packs of cliff shot blocks and then two packs of those honey stinger uh, gummies. And that was not enough. I finished my food yesterday going up Lafayette. Oh man. <laughs> oh man. And, uh, I was sort of, I, I thought I had one more. I don't know. I think I just, I think I meant to put a seventh food. I, like, I think I meant to put a, another pack of shot blocks in my shorts, but I just screwed it up and didn't. Because 200 calories would have been, you know, all I needed for the rest of the day. Like, finish those kind of in between little haystack and Liberty and then run on fumes all the way out to the end. But yeah, I kind of got to run on fumes from Lafayette to the end and it, it worked okay. Cause it's mostly descending, but, uh, that was, that was sort of stressful for a few minutes. And what do you, what else are you carrying? Like, what do you, what do you bring out for these? Are you just bare minimum? Are you, do you even have your phone with you? Yeah, so I did have my, I had my phone, I have a little, little tiny first aid kit, it's like, uh, very emergency focused, like nothing for comfort. Um, the main thing is, uh, I have like a, a dog booty for wish. Um, I have uh, some scissors and like, uh, one of those uh, quick clotting gauze pads because like bleeding is basically one of the only things that you can actually do anything about most horrible injuries you just can't do anything about um, <laughs> it's 
true. Uh, and I had a dog leash and a bunch of food for Wish. Not as much as a normal day, but you know, some hot dog and cheese. And oh, and uh, a couple caffeine pills. I'm uh, I took one, I took one before I started, about 30 minutes before starting, and then one at three hours. And what's the strategy there? What's your caffeine background? Yeah, so I don't, I don't drink coffee at all normally. So, like, a 100 milligram caffeine pill really hits me super hard. I mean, it's it's basically the equivalent of like one cup of coffee or so. I I've never gotten into coffee. It kind of smells awful to me. I know that sounds insane to a lot of people, um, but I just go straight to the source. Like, what I want is caffeine, so what I take is caffeine. <laughs> so that's so. All right. So then let's go back to you. Your dog Wish. You adopted her when? Uh, fall 2018. And from the get go, you could tell she's she's got energy. She's agile. That she would be a potential good running partner, right? But did you expect this? No, I did not expect this. I mean, we we adopted, like, they claimed she was a border collie. Who knows? Like, now we know she's actually, we did, like, a DNA test. She's, like, border collie Aussie mix. So, you know, you can guess that she's probably going to be a pretty good running partner. But when we got her, like, okay, I could go for, like, a six-mile run with her, and she was happy with that, but pretty dead afterwards. Um a lot, I mean, there's, there's a, tons of work that we've done just kind of getting her comfortable and calm and friendly because, you know, the first week, the, like the first month that we had her, I would take her out in the woods, of course, on a leash. Like I let her off leash in the mountains now, but I could not do that then because she would bark at literally every single person we saw. So there was a lot of like counter conditioning, sort of giving her treats when we saw people, making people into happy moments. Um, but also at the same time, sort of slowly ramping up what she was doing as far as running. Like I didn't track it as precisely as I do my own running because she seems to just recover super well. And I think that's, that's sort of to be expected with like a two-year-old dog or one and a half when we first got her. But I did sort of, as a general rule, try to, you know, increment mileage or effort pretty slowly over time. Um, and just, she loves it. Like, you know, a lot of dogs, I feel like love an eight mile run. Mm-hmm. But when I started taking her for like a 20 mile run and she was still just like going crazy at the end, having the best time of her life, I was like, okay, this dog is insane and what's the limit <laughs> um so i you know at, at that point i like started taking her for okay 20 miles it's not the limit what about 20 miles fast uh okay yeah so we're running down like the this uh twin zealand hail fkt last summer um much less competitive route than the pemi but still like we were running super hard downhill at the end like 
get out onto the North Twin Trail and we're running like 556 minute pace. And this dog is just like out 10 yards in front of me, looking back, like making these funny faces at me, like, why aren't you running faster, Ben? Oh, that's incredible. And so that's so that's sort of when I knew that like somehow in the process of you know adopting a dog that was you know clearly gonna be energetic, we accidentally got this like running crazed monster and she's awesome but i haven't found a run that i can do that she doesn't enjoy yet and and that's got to be a lot of fun for you to always be able not feel like she's not she's missing out that you're leaving her at home she can come and do all this stuff and obviously you're a um, very thoughtful pet owner that's like when i saw when i met her for the first time you were doing a great job conditioning her to people and always had treats and everything for her so that she was rewarded. And um, I think that's really, really important. People miss that. They think what you get, like, you know, whatever you're handed as a dog is what you get. It's just their temperament, but there's a lot of work that you can put in as a dog owner. Um, And then obviously the other big takeaway there is that you didn't just go and do the 20 mile run with your dog and ruining, ruin your dog and ruin that experience for your dog. You eased into it, which also important. Um, I've seen that happen too. And I mean, my dog is, I mean, everyone thinks Squall's out there doing 20 mile runs, but he's like, we, I think we made a couple mistakes on some big runs and now he's just like, yeah, I'm good. He'll sit there and be like, I don't, I don't know if I want to do this. So, um, yeah, it's one part temperament, but also training. So, um, but that's gotta be, that's gotta be pretty special to be out there to be able to know that you can go all out and have your dog too and not heavier dog is a concern but more is just a running partner yeah i mean at this i still i still bring treats for her and like most of the time we pass somebody i'll still give her a treat kind of as like just a habit at this point it's like we see a person wish gets a chunk of hot dog that's just a just a habit but i mean i feel super lucky to have have this constant running buddy she's wagging her tail in front of the camera right now and i'm scratching her butt um but I, I totally agree that you gotta, I mean, you gotta go with what the dog wants to do. You know, not every dog is gonna wanna run a long ways and you just kind of figure out what they wanna do. And I mean, she hates road running, like cars scare her. So they're, are times when I actually, I leave her at home because my ankle hurts or something and I don't feel like I can comfortably run on a trail today. Uh, I rolled my ankle last December and for like a week, I tried some road running with her uh, and, you know, little neighborhood streets and stuff, like nothing busy, but she's not into it. So, you know, it's okay if the dog doesn't join for every run. All right, so going into back into this recent Pemi Loop, um, like you already having your time, and I guess it helps now talking to you and and knowing that you didn't, you knew you'd sort of blown it by not like going out too hard and sort of knowing you had to back off and you know there's always more training and and more you know more building you can do and to really find your potential, so you still set the record on that run. And then to have Patrick Karen a couple of years ago, 
come and take a pretty significant chunk of time, like over 20 minutes. Um, what, what, what did you think about when that happened? And then when did you realize like, I have it in me to give it a go or, or what was your, what, what was your attitude about everything? I mean, there's like, like, where do you find time if you, in your own, in your own run, like where are you going to make up time? And you're, he's got splits from one direction and you're going to be still going counterclockwise trying to figure out your splits. Yeah. Let's talk about it all. Yeah. I mean, I was super impressed with his run. That was really exciting. Um, he didn't just go under six. He went way under, which was great. And I mean, also just, I feel like he's an extremely strong runner who I haven't seen like get into this kind of mountain running FKT stuff too much besides this FKT run. And so it was super cool to, you know, have him decide to get out there and do that and really crush it. Um, but then, you know, getting to what you're saying about like, okay, I want to give it another shot. I mean, from the beginning, I sort of knew that it was still in reach because I thought, you know, between going out too hard and then I didn't get to this part, but I completely ran out of water on Liberty and just, I was so dehydrated. It was a, it was a pretty hot day the, the first time I did it. So I sort of blew up on the last descent. And so I felt like there was, you know, 10 minutes, maybe a little more, even with the same fitness that I had in 2017, that I could drop off that time. Um, and then, so I thought about doing it last summer. Uh, and I kept kind of looking for a good day or a good time. Um, but it just didn't, just didn't happen. Um, I think the, the, op, the ideal time to do it would have been in September. That's just kind of, I think that's, that's sort of the best time for running a fast Pemi loop. You've got, I mean, for me, at least I've got a whole summer of mountain running, running under the belt. Like I built up that strength. It's cool again after the summer, you get some really nice days where it's like in the low forties up high, which is just perfect. Um, but instead I ran the Kilkenny red Kilkenny Ridge race, which was super fun and also like blasting through the mountains. So, you know, good trade-off. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of came into 2020 thinking that that was one of my primary goals is to maybe not get the FKT. I wasn't sure if I could do it, but just, hit the Pemi loop really hard. And I was pretty confident that if I didn't blow up or make a major mistake, I could go under six. Um, and then what you were saying about splits. Yeah. So it, it it's kind of hard to match up splits when you're going the opposite direction around a loop. So my game was to not try to match up splits so much as I just tried to set what seemed like a reasonable goal compared to my previous splits. Um, so I just decided, you know, beat my old split to bond by two minutes. I was pretty confident that I had, a, you know, substantially stronger climbing legs now than I did then. And then after that, just kind of hold that pace. Whereas the previous time I'd done it, I'd really fallen off that pace. So you're, so you're running all the way up to self twin, like, 
you're not walking any of that or what's your do you power hike some of that or you just oh i power hike a ton of it yeah i would say probably 40 percent of the climb up bond cliff i'm power hiking uh like i most anything that's sort of steeper than six or seven hundred feet a mile i don't know if that's like a useful benchmark for anybody but i feel like i can eyeball that at this point and um there's just a there's just a point where it feels right to power hike for me i'm sure that's different for everybody but um and it depends on depends on how tired i am you know later in the run i'll power hike more um i think yeah, so I sort of put together these splits actually for yesterday that were based on sort of extrapolating the pace from my first time up to Bond and then just continuing that same pace all the way through the loop. And it turned out that those splits were like right on the money. I had, I was, I think, 30 seconds off my split to South Twin, then like a minute off my split to Garfield Springs, 30 seconds off to Lafayette. And then like a minute off to flume. And I, this was not this was not me like slowing down to match the splits or speeding up to match the splits. It was just sort of an accident of like good prediction, I think. Um, but basically the game was if I can get to flume in under five hours, the FKT is on. <laughs> if not, then you know, I'll still run down the mountain hard. But were you playing mind games with yourself to be like you know, if you're not falling off the splits, you're in it. And if you're also like, you have a, a pl- like, at least I can beat my old time or have another time that's competitive or how, where do you fall in that mindset, that mind frame throughout that run? Yeah, I mean. Cause you're not gonna feel amazing the entire run. Like you're gonna have some hard spot, like. I felt pretty bad a lot of that run actually. <laughs> yesterday yeah um i didn't sort of i didn't hit the calf cramps really early like i did in 2017 but uh i think i sort of went in with the mindset of the fitness i had last fall and i think at some like core aerobic level or like some some deeper level i think i'm actually fitter than i was then but when it comes to, you know, long four to 10 hour mountain runs, I think I'm less strong than I was last fall because I haven't had that whole summer of just powering up mountains and stuff. And so I got to the top of Vine Cliff and it wasn't nearly as far outside of my sort of my comfort level as the first time I'd done it. But it was still like, oh, wow, that was hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was feeling it in my calves by the top of Bond a little bit. Um, and uh, I don't know, the thing, that, the thing that made me feel like I could do it, because I think when I got to Bond and I was running down that, I was sort of, oh, geez, this is going to be, I don't know, I don't think I could do this. And then I got to South Twin and I was right on that split I had planned. So I think that was a big boost because I thought I would be, you know, three, four minutes behind that split. And I got there and I was like, oh, geez, I'm right on the money. 
okay, I've got a big descent ahead. I don't know if other people feel this way, but on these runs, like the descents, even though I'm pushing them, they're sort of, they're rests in a way because I just focus on the running. On the uphills, I like, I'm always trying to drink a bunch of water, eat food. I'm doing all these different things to take care of myself. On the descents, I don't do any of that because if you try to play around with your hands, I, I feel like I'm just gonna fall. So the descents are sort of, I can, I can turn off in a way a little bit. So coming over South Twin, doing that descent, it's just a relaxing, gets me in the groove some. And then it's Garfield Ridge. And I mean, it was hard, but I felt like I could keep the pace. And I knew that pace was good because of those splits. So I was still feeling pretty good all the way, you know, through Garfield Springs, through Lafayette, I kept kept hitting the times, kept feeling, okay, it's hard, but I keep doing it. And uh, up Lafayette, I started to feel the calf cramps starting to come on. I didn't, you know, actually have any, uh, any real cramps, but you know, you can, you can sometimes get little twinges, like, uh, it's close, but it's not happening. Um, I think that's, that's what I was saying. It's just, uh, I haven't been doing nearly as many long sustained climbs as I, you know, did last year, for example. So that sort of, that climb up Lafayette is 1500 feet, which at that point in the run is quite a lot. And it's just, that sort of, that Lafayette climb is where it all sort of came together. So I was going up that and, you know, it's hard, it's hard. I'm almost cramping, but I'm holding it together. Like it's still working. <laughs> <laughs> that's the hardest climb. I mean, of that whole loop. I mean, that's the hardest part. If you're doing it counterclockwise, that's the crux of it, I think. Yeah. But you didn't just go into this, you know, you didn't just go into this with like, you know, unprepared chicken legs in the spring. I mean, you had already done the Fells FKT and you'd done this out and back on the moats that we were talking about earlier that, you know, that's another, the moats out and back is 18 miles. I mean, that's, you did it in a time of three hours and 45 minutes. Um, and the Fells took you how long? That's like an hour and what? it was a uh, 51 A oh, 51. Sorry. But so you're built, you have this proper build into, and, and, and terrain as well, like going up North Moat and down, up and down North Moat, really steep, punchy um, for a descent and a climb back out, but also runnable sections, really fast sections. Um, it seems like you went into this really well prepared and your confidence level must have been feeling pretty good. Yeah, I think the, the, the moat, run might look deceptively intense just because i think uh nephews ben nephews prior fkt was like a little soft i think he just kind of went for a training run because uh, it was i think a lot of people like to sort of maybe do a hard hard run but not you know not really racing as like the first time for an fkt and then it sort of slowly ticks up faster and people push harder and harder and it's a fun game like that. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, my demotes time, I sort of, I think I went, you know, PEMI type pace on the way north. And then on the way south was much slower. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my splits were like 135 north and then like 215 south or 210 south. Uh, so that was sort of intentional. I planned to go hard one direction and then sort of uh, take it a bit easier back the other way. But yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I think that the, I think the timeline was compressed. You know, uh, my first real mountain run was like three weeks ago this year. And so that's that's like that's if you're talking about like an ultra or a marathon that's like the end that's like when your taper begins to some for like some really long tapering people or like that's sort of the the peak the peak run of a marathon training plan you know three or four weeks is not long enough to really get the full uh get uh large training effects so i think you're absolutely right i did sort of progress into the mountains but the you know extrapolating that process i think the point you know where i'd be sort of in good mountain shape would be about a month from now not now Mm -hmm. and that's not to say that like i i like had a great time on the pemi but i think uh one of the things i was thinking about while running it was like oh wow (laughs) if i tried this again in september or next year in september i think that like 525 is a feasible number. That's pretty exciting to think about that. If you're already being like, well, you're right. Like this is one of the more enjoyable times to be doing Pemi loops when the water sources are steady. You know, you can get a little water a little further up on some of those drainages and the air is cool. And then again, really September when you are in shape. Um, But it's tough to hold back and not want to go and give these things a shot. So um, it's exciting to, it's, it's, I think patience is one of the hardest things. Cause I, I know that when I saw this, I was like, oh man, I want to go to a, it just made me want to go out and test myself and go do something big in the mountains. And I just know that in the past it's, it's worked the opposite and it can really take your training down a notch when you're trying to build for something. If you just trash your legs, um, for, for, uh, for, the gen for the general i would say for the general public i think you're pretty superhuman the counterpoint is that when you're uh you're feeling good and the weather looks right just go for it because i think that's <laughs> what this was like i had planned i mean my sort of 2020 plan was to do some do a hard pemi loop in the fall in september and i don't know i was talking about it with my friend julian like two or three weeks ago and saying like, ah, if there's a really good day, I think I'll go for it. And then last Monday, I was just looking at the weather forecast and this whole weekend looked so nice and cool, almost cold. Um, I was planning to go on Saturday, but the like higher summits forecast said that there might be some ice uh, like above 4,500 feet. Uh, and then it was all fogged in. So I decided to push to Sunday and it was just, I think even more so than, so coming back to the dog, like bringing Wish along, even more so than just for myself, I look for really cool days when I want to run hard with her. Because that's the thing that, you know, even though she has the energy to do these things, if it's hot, 
it's like it doesn't work as well she just doesn't want to go fast i mean that's totally makes sense she's hot overheating like i make sure we go on route on hot days i make sure we go on routes with lots of streams or take it really easy or lots of ponds to dip in or uh even just don't run with her at all if it's like over 90 or something um but yeah just seeing the weather on monday last week i was holy crap this is perfect hemi racing weather like the snow is going to be gone just barely the weather is in like the low 40s upper 30s it's going to be sunny dry trails i just it was it's hard to turn down something like that <laughs> for running fast in the whites. <laughs> I give you credit that you could pump pump out something this fast this early in the season, like you're saying, it's condensed. But how, and how do you feel today, day after? Oh, I'm a wreck. <laughs> I actually, took, I think that this fits perfectly, fits perfectly with what I'm saying. Like, I, you know, when I've, uh, when I'm a little bit more into the into the season, sort of and I do an effort this hard, the recovery is not as bad either. Like today, I'm much worse off than I have been sometimes after a really hard effort in previous years. Or maybe I just pushed harder because it was cool. Like, I think that's another thing. Like you can push your muscles a little bit further when the temperatures are low. I don't know. I think a race effort at a race effort, no matter your fitness at that distance is going to wreck you. I don't know. I mean, you, it sounds like you still had to dig deep. Yeah. Um, like you're saying from Bond Cliff, you're like, well, I was, or Bond, I was still working pretty hard by the time I got up there. It's not like you were getting a warm up in, you were working. Yeah, um, it was sort of on the cusp the whole day. I mean, I was, it was always, I was never like in the clear, like I know I have this. And I was never totally out of the question like i'm pretty sure i don't have this it was just on the edge so i knew i had to keep working hard but i uh until i got to the uh, you know the bottom of osseo 1.2 from the end on that flat trail and i had like 13 minutes to run 1.2 miles on a flat trail i knew i had it at that point but until then like even hitting flume coming down osseo i didn't know and you're trying to do you're, you're crunching numbers this whole whole day or do you like do some autopilot some stuff like when do you start really looking at that i mean besides the splits that i had written on my arm i wasn't really crunching numbers i just wanted to run cool um i was kind of i there were points where i was kind of thinking like ah if i get to the top of lafayette and i'm ahead i'm gonna chill out but then i would get there and i was not ahead (laughs) um i had one other question is how much water are you bringing out there like when you filled your water up for the first time, how much water do you fill up for your climb up uh, to Boncliff? Yeah, so I, I filled the liter going up Boncliff, and then that was it until Garfield Springs. And then I chugged about almost a liter at Garfield Springs and then <laughs> carried another liter from there. Gotcha. So two, two of the half liter chest bottles. It's a real skill managing doing water management um and on those hot days there's just nothing you can i don't know you can't race it and carry enough water to keep up there are those humid days too where you're losing so much water um man that makes me want to go out go out for a run 
it's been so nice this this weekend this and Monday today we're running out of time here um what does the what does the rest of your summer look like you know what's your what's the what's next for ben or what's what are you excited about next uh yeah, run around the run around the fells with the dog. Run around the mountains with the dog when I can. Um, my friend Julian is wants to run a hundred in the fall. I've never done a hundred. Basically, like most things are canceled at the moment, so we're thinking about doing the hundred mile wilderness in Maine. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. That's I'm a little worried that by saying that right now, I'm making it more likely to happen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no it's i that's what that's my question is like what gets you like what sort of things excite you right now and um you know is it to go back and is it to do more of these familiar ones or are you constantly like you we were talking before what are these other mountain runs that you haven't done in new england or wherever else like what what, is it the hundred mile distance that sort of interests you or, or what is it? No, I think for that, it's the, you know, it's just the big iconic chunk of the AT all in one run. Like, that's awesome. It would be just a monumental day. Like, I don't know if I could call it fun before I've done it. I might try and call it that af if afterwards, if I do it. Um, but more generally, like, I, I think, It'd be really nice to explore some of the areas in like Maine and Vermont that I haven't explored quite as much. I mean, I've been in, I've been in some of the uh, Maine peaks and uh, like over, you know, Mansfield, Camel's Hump area. But it'd be great to do some sections of the Long Trail. I've been thinking of like maybe some uh, sort of running overnight things. Um, but also just, yeah, lots of, lots of nice, I don't really, yeah, I guess what you're getting from me is that I don't have uh, too much of a plan besides just keep, keep going. It's... Yeah, that's, that's totally fair. I, it's a healthy mindset. It's a healthy mindset to have. Um, I, I think that this summer is going to be the year of the FKTs. I mean, it has to be like, what are else, what, how else are other people going to challenge themselves? Um, and you've obviously just kind of snapped attention to everything because you're like, whoa, okay. It's like beginning of June and times are falling. So it's exciting. Hopefully you, you lit a fire under some other people. You certainly did myself. I'm, um, I'm excited to start mountain training and get into that September fitness shape and hopefully not go too hard. And, um, yeah, everyone needs to find their own goals and, uh, hopefully get some sort of inspiration from this. So I'm going to wrap it up here, say a quick uh, a thank you for taking the time to chat and, um, super cool to hear about what you've done with wish and to see that like she can cruise with you on all these things. Uh, there's nothing better than having, always having a running buddy, no matter what, you know, it doesn't matter what the conditions are out there that you know that if you want to get some trail time that you'll have someone to go with. Um, super cool. Thanks so much, Andrew. This is really fun. <laughs>